Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Nick Hill. I'm a mortgage agent, real estate investor. I'm joined here by my much more intelligent co-host, Daniel Foch. Dan, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm not that intelligent, to be honest with you. People always like talk to me like I'm smart, but I'm not. I actually just like I'm a sponge, and I just like ooze information that I've gathered from other people. I'm a good, <laughs> I'm a good aggregator and reiterator. So you just have a very good illusion of intelligence. Well, hell, you fooled me. Anyways, we've got a great show for everyone today. We're going to be talking about migration into Canada and within Canada, how that affects the real estate market. More importantly, how that affects you, the real estate investor, and where you should be looking to invest and how to understand what to look for, drive to qualify, drive to quantify, and a whole bunch of other good stuff. But we are going to start things off today with the deal of the day because Dan has a listing that he wants to talk about. First listing ever. <laughs> Congratulations, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for those of you interested, we will be doing deal of the day segment. You know, so if you're a realtor and you have a deal you want to promote on the show, send us a message. We'll put it at the beginning of the show. Obviously, there is a fee and I've paid that fee. So I get to talk about this deal. Yes. No special treatment for the co hosts here. <laughs> so, the property that I've just listed is 979 Coxwell Avenue in Toronto. It's $2.2 million. Mixed-use building in East York area of Toronto, ground floor commercial unit with four residential suites above it. It's right in a shopping district, walkability to almost everything. There's a hospital and actually the city of Toronto offices are nearby as well as a bunch of schools. Great area. Unit one and two are two bedrooms. They're renting around 1500 bucks each. Units three and four are one bedrooms. They're one's at 970 and the other one's at 600 bucks, which is definitely underperforming. I don't think I've ever seen a unit renting at 600 bucks in Toronto. So I ran these through landlord.io, who, as you guys know, is, you know, has helped us out by providing the deal analyzer tool to all of our listeners. And this came back at a 3.47% cap rate, which is, I'm going to say, a little bit on the low side for Toronto. It is kind of in line with where things were trading in Toronto earlier yeah. this year. But I'd probably like to see that perform a little bit if I was representing the buyer on this transaction. So that's about it, honestly. I think internal rate of return is 6%. And if anyone's interested in learning more about this deal, just send us a message. We'll also post a link to the listing in the show notes. Yeah, it's a pretty cool one. You know what? Not a horrible cap rate for Toronto by any stretch. You know, I've seen cap rates in secondary and tertiary markets with the, you know, multifamily and mixed use properties, the same thing. So obviously being a bit more bullish on Toronto, I, I like that deal overall. It's pretty good. Yeah, I think like, I don't know. I mean, we, we were just getting pitched a, a deal in, you know, a multi unit in outside of Montreal in like the three and a half caps. So yeah. we've seen stuff and, like and that as well. As well and, and, right. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, it is what it is. I think it'll transact eventually. It's likely an add value deal. Be a fun one to sell. Yeah, for sure. So on the topic of returns varying geographically, what are we going to be talking about today, Nick? Again, we're going into migration, where to find the next market to invest in. And you've heard of you know driving for dollars, which is literally getting out and driving in your car driving around different neighborhoods. This could be anywhere. It could be in your neighborhood, could be, you know, several hours away. So that's kind of what we're talking about today. And we're going to go into that. So 
Dan, you've you've actually made up a little a good little term here. Why don't you start us off with that? Yeah, so first I'll start us off with drive till you qualify. So in the mortgage and real estate world, there's a saying, drive until you qualify. It's a cute way of saying basically, if you can't afford a home in a certain desirable area, then you hop on the highway and keep driving until home prices get cheaper and more affordable for you. And this is why we've seen a lot of people moving outside of the cities in the greater Toronto area, especially in a lot of urban areas across the country. The idea of this urban exodus that's been happening, which we're going to talk a lot about on the show today. But I kind of came up with, and this was a couple of years ago when COVID first started, when I saw I saw a lot of my investor clients actually selling properties in the GTA, realizing you know really high cap rates and going and chasing yield in other places. So we call this, or I call this, drive till you quantify. And it's basically the same thing, except you're driving until you're able to get the return that you want to see. Love that. So now we all know that that's a, a Dan Foch original. Anyone that uses that out there, we know you. We know where it all started. But anyways, I love the drive to you qualify, which can be a lot more for kind of, I guess, single family homes, people just going to look to buy something in the suburbs or wherever that may be versus the investor, which is drive till you quantify. So that's the difference. Now, I guess both of these are important for things like migration as well as long distance investing. So let's talk about that for a second. What is long distance investing? Well, it's pretty much exactly what it sounds. It's investing in real estate, but far away. So it's taking that principle that Dan was just explaining, drive to you qualify or quantify and making it a reality. Now I've done this personally and had some great success with it and researched a ton of markets in Ontario as well as other provinces. So here's a few things that I liked to look for when analyzing new places in across the country. So I'm looking for things like increasing populations, diversified economy, and a growing workforce, which is very important. Good school districts, another big factor, low crime rates, strong occupancy, and a good demand for rental properties, increased affordability. I always like to look at future public works projects. So like, what is the government doing to put some money in there? And then any kind of future public transit or highway systems that could help people get to that location. And of course, any major private development, you know, is there a new condo going up? Is there a new facility going up? Is there, you know, what does the three to five to 10 year future look like of that area? Yeah. And then I think that, you know, you covered definitely a lot of the more qualitative metrics that I would advise people to analyze. And I think, you know, one of the big things that I like to think about here is, do you understand the market? And maybe one of the things that you can do, and I've actually had a lot of people reach out to me about this on Instagram. They're like, look, I want to be a long distance investor. I have my money. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to start doing deals. But how do you decide which market you're going to invest in? Mm -hmm. Invest in markets that you understand, right? And sometimes that means it's a place that you've been to, right? Like I know somebody who started buying Airbnb cabins in like Golden BC as an example, because they'd been skiing there a bunch of times when they were growing up and they knew the market. It made sense to them. So that's one big part of it. And I mean, even just to quote Warren Buffett and, you know, a oh, lot wow. of the stuff, a lot of our listeners come from the Canadian, yeah, a lot of our listeners come from the Canadian Investor Podcast. You know, when we think about real estate as value investing, invest in companies that you understand. It's the same thing with real estate. Invest in markets that you understand. So if you don't really know why, as an example, a certain rural area in northern Manitoba is so highly priced or has such good cap rates, 
and it goes back to almost like our mining episode, right? Getting exposure. If you don't understand the mining industry and how long it takes for one of those things to be exhausted, or if you don't understand infrastructure projects like Nick just mentioned, then focus on the variables that you do understand. Maybe you know, you're know you fresh out of university and you, you could think about investing in a university town because you understand what that looks like. So think about variables that you can understand. Then you want to focus on quantifying, drive till you quantify. And the, the big things there are what's the yield? What kind of cap rate can you expect in those areas? And fortunately enough for all of our listeners, we're actually going to be working on releasing a national report on this with Lenlord as well as a great guy named Vijesh who writes for The Motley Fool, Globe and Mail, a couple of other different financial posts and stuff like that. So we're going to be hopefully releasing this ratio of almost like what kind of return expectations you can have as an investor across the country. But then beyond that, what are the vacancy rates? So you can quickly Google you know, Nova Scotia vacancy rates and it'll pull up on the Statistics Canada website a little table of what different vacancy rates are like for different types of products. And it's pretty granular actually and I find they're pretty accurate. So what's it like for a fourplex? What's it like for a hundred unit building if you're buying in a condo building as an example? And then the next piece is like, what are the demographics and what are the employment? Is population going up or down? You know, I've been analyzing a lot of deals for people on social media lately in like the middle of nowhere in Saskatchewan because I've been obsessed with Saskatchewan. I'm currently going through this this process, trying to pick a market in Saskatchewan. And I posted this deal on Instagram from like Humboldt and people are like, obviously you don't understand this place because like people are leaving, nobody's living there anymore. Like, oh man. But you know, you go an hour north or an hour outside of that area, there's a very comparable city that has a vacancy rate that's like half, and but the prices reflect that. So get an understanding for what those things mean all over the country. And then the easiest way to look at that and the easiest way to you know, take a step back is where are people going? And a lot of it is understanding people of a similar psychographic or demographic that you are. So if you're a millennial, where are the millennials going? And that's where we're here to talk really primarily about migration in and out of the country and all over the country. So Nick, let's start with that. Yeah. So what's all this back and forth and movement all over the place? That's migration. Human migration is the movement of people from one place to another with intentions of settling, usually permanently or temporarily at a new location. So in migration, there are two major factors, push and pull. Now, pull factors are things that make people want to stay. So a few good economic pull factors could be higher wages, more jobs, better jobs, more housing affordability, more access to space. And some push factors could be low wages, fewer jobs, overpopulation, lack of affordability, lack of housing. And I think if we look at, you know, even why people have been leaving Ontario or BC to go to, let's say, Calgary or Halifax, you can look at a few of those push and pull factors and apply them directly to some of those moves. For sure. And I guess the big question becomes, why does this migration matter, right? And to me, I mean, if you reverse engineer it, one of the biggest themes from COVID was people moving, especially out of urban areas. Mm -hmm. This is literally like the primary reason why I'm well known as an individual and as a realtor and as an analyst in the Canadian real estate space is because I started posting about this urban exodus stuff back in the day. And I was doing maps basically of where people were moving in and out of cities based on where the realtor who was doing the transaction was coming from. And what makes me feel like this is important is I think that municipalities have this, like, you know, in, there's this principle in economics where firms exist to make profit and municipalities exist to make a place to live, right? They exist to attract residents. That's how they generate revenue by having people pay property tax. This is important to understand because, you know, you see all of these different areas fighting for 
that COVID migration. You've seen advertisements for Nova Scotia. You've seen advertisements for Halifax. You've seen advertisements for Alberta. We've talked about this stuff on the show. The reason why these places especially are focused on getting that millennial bid is because there's a sunk cost associated. If you move to Alberta, as an example, if you move to Alberta in the past two years because you wanted to be in a more rural area or whatever it was and you know, you're working from home, you you have the sunk cost that it's going to be expensive for you to move back. It's going to be hard for you to move back. You start putting your roots down and people stay where they grow. This is why beer companies often market to young people because they want you to become a brand loyalist early on so they don't have to market to you later. And if they can get you early, and you see it with a lot of these oligopolistic companies in Canada as well, banks, telecom companies, they focus on getting you because they know it's hard for you to, to change, right? There's a barrier to exit, not just a barrier to entry. Yeah. I just want to jump in here for a second and say I love thinking about municipalities, towns, cities like that. Like, hey, we we operate as a business too. If you start thinking of areas like that, that area being almost a business entity itself and trying to pull new clients, I guess, which would be the residents of that community, that's a really interesting and cool way to look at it. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, if you reverse engineer that, think about where and why people are going where they are. And we're going to present some data on sort of what's happening in that space. But when you think about the two biggest moves that people make, and from my perspective, the most important moves of someone's life, especially financially, is their first purchase and their last sale. And again, as investors, it doesn't really necessarily matter to us what the housing market is doing in an objective sense, but it does in, you know, understanding sentiment, understanding what's going to happen to the price environment, and also understanding where potential tenants might be coming from. Because right now as an investor, you're getting tenants on the front end, which are millennials who have been pushed out of the homeownership market by prices. But also what a trend that we're starting to see evolve is baby boomers who are getting rid of homeownership because they're cashing out on the high prices and they want to use that nest egg for retirement and they don't want homeownership anymore. They want to rent. And so there's a couple of different tenant pools forming as well. So from my perspective, you can actually do pretty well by exposing yourself to this trade, let's call it, in the migration. And you have to think about the two most active groups of people in Canada right now. Also, the two biggest population cohorts. So number one is baby boomers, people born from 1946 to 1964 or currently aged 55 to 75 years old approximately. Yeah. And for the first time, baby boomers make up less than a quarter of the Canadian population. The baby boomer generation comprising people 55 to 75 continues to be the largest in Canada despite the fact that they are all aging. The census from 2021 counted 9.212 million baby boomers. So you'll hear us talk about this a lot on the show. I'm of the perspective that whatever baby boomers decide to do as a major secular trend, if you can figure out what that is and if you guess that properly – there's a lot of money to be made on the other side of that. If I had to guess personally, I would say they're likely going to want to move out of their current four-bedroom, two-story suburban homes and downsize into bungalows in similar areas. And they value things like proximity to airports, proximity to hospitals, walkability, and I think, you know, affordability, right? And so, mm -hmm. and they also want to be close to their kids. So there's something to be said for potentially tailoring rentals in a similar fashion. Or if you're, you know, if you're a speculator, which I don't encourage, speculating similarly. And conveniently, one of the best housing concepts for, you know, beginner investors is an up-down duplex, which 
is often a raised bungalow, right? Yeah, totally. And with baby boomers, I think it's, again, we'll touch on this as we move on here, but it's we can really start to look at reverse engineering your tenants. So find the tenant first and then go and find the property and do it that way. Anyway, sorry, Dan, keep going. No, I mean, that's a great note, especially, you know, coming off the tail end of that episode that we just did specifically focus on tenants being your best asset. Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now that for a lot of the landlords that I've worked for in the past several years, all of them want a retired school teacher as a tenant, right? (laughs) And so, I mean, if you can start bringing housing to the market that's tailoring the type of tenant that you want to attract, it's going to help you. And if you can try and pick a tenant that you think you're best served to provide that housing for, there might be an upside there, right? And anyway, we'll move on here. Number two, millennials, second biggest cohort in the population pyramid right now. People born from 1981 to 1996, currently aged 25 to 40. Yeah, that's that's both of us right there. That's a pretty good age. Hello, all fellow millennials out there. So in 2021, there were 7.9 million millennials in Canada, which accounted for approximately one in five Canadians or 21%. So that's 7.9 millennials compared to the just over 9.2 million boomers in Canada. Yeah. So the big questions are here are where are millennials going? Where are boomers going? What are they going to be doing with their money over the next couple of years? So we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about the several different levels of migration and how you can anticipate these trends and potentially make some money there. So yeah, so let's start with the biggest one, which is global immigration to Canada. So despite the pandemic, Canada reached record numbers in 2021 with over 405,000 people becoming permanent residences. For 2022, Canada has also released a revised target of 432,000 immigrants and even higher numbers for 2023 and 2024. Now, nearly four-fifths of the 1.8 million population increase from 2016 to 2021 was attributed to new arrivals in Canada. So why does Canada need all these immigrants? Well, Canada is experiencing historically low levels of unemployment currently. The most recent data from Stats Canada indicates level of employment is at 5.2. It's the lowest it's been since the 70s. The reason for this is that Canada's population is aging. The birth rate is too low to replace the 9 million workers who have reached retirement by age 2030. This goes back to our previous point about watching the boomers. Canada has one of the lowest birth rates as well in the world at an average of 1.5 children. So we can see that, you know, we're pretty dependent on immigration. For anyone that's been following real estate or, or these discussions on real estate and housing, you're well aware of some of these stats and the role that immigration has been playing. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we understand immigration into Canada as a, as a global macro trend, right? And this is what most people will argue is the big fundamental that's going to drive values up in the foreseeable future in Canadian real estate. And I would say I'm relatively bearish and I'm not exceptionally sold on the importance of immigration as a fundamental, but I would still agree with that it is a major bullish factor. That we will always be in a state of excess demand if we're bringing 400,000 people into Canada. My argument would be that you measure the price of houses in dollars, not people. So the amount of money that these people have does matter. And we're seeing that right now as the credit markets are contracting. But I still do think that the number of people moving into Canada is always going to have us in that state of excess demand. There are more people that want houses than there are houses available in Canada. That's going to push prices up. Mm -hmm. The next three pieces that we're going to talk about, provincial migration, so from province to province within the country, 
regional migration, so within the province, but from city to city, and then neighborhood migration. So people actually staying within the same area, but moving typically up the housing ladder. So first I'll start with interprovincial, unless did you want to jump in there with anything, Nick? Nope, nope, keep going. Okay, we're good. Yeah, so interprovincially, these are trends that are happening within the country. So I recently presented some data that a lot of people were leaving Ontario, moving to Alberta. And actually, I think 2021 was actually the first year where uh, Quebec or Quebec, sorry, I have a lot of listeners have been getting, <laughs> getting upset with me for not pronouncing it properly. So they go, Quebec, I'm going to make an effort to do that properly because it does matter. But this was the first time when we were actually net exporting people from Ontario to Quebec. And so these are big trends. Ontarians are moving all over the country. And in a lot of cases, they're doing it because they're driving till they qualify and they cannot drive till they qualify within the province of Ontario. So they have to leave. <laughs> And they're going to places like a lot of people were going to Halifax, right, as an example. Or, and we'll get to this, I guess, within provincially, this kind of touches on it, but are they driving to places that they can qualify within Ontario, realizing that that's not really where they want to be and realizing that maybe they can find that same quality of life that they're looking for within a city or closer to a major urban area outside of the province? And, you know, I think that's actually a really important consideration because if you get to a place where you're now commuting two hours to get to Ottawa or Toronto or whatever, and you'd say, you know what, I'm going to take the risk. This isn't worth it for me. I'm going to take a hit on my salary. I'm going to go move to another city in Canada like Halifax or like Calgary, which seem to be two of the biggest recipients of Ontario, the Ontario exodus and British Columbia as well, getting a ton of people getting pushed out. All these areas where inflation is really running rampant, but also housing inflation is really running rampant, millennials are saying, you know what, I can't do this. I literally, The economics don't make sense. So I'm going to go and I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to go move to another job market. And they're going to, I mean, that's where the employment factor that you just mentioned, where we have so many job vacancies, millennials or anybody, any employee as the supplier of labor, they're in the driver's seat here. They're in a seller's market. They're the ones selling labor. So they can say, Hey, Mr. Employer, you're going to have to let me work from home because I got to move to Calgary to be able to afford to live here with how much my rent just went up or how much my housing costs just went up. And so that's why we're starting to see some of these trends evolve. It's not good enough for them to be able to stay within driving distance of the city that they were in in Ontario. And that's why we're seeing this renaissance period forming for a lot of other Canadian cities. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of it. And, and so just to quickly move through the intermunicipality here. So, you know, we've also seen a lot of movements from the, let's say, semi or secondary cities within the GTA, Pickering, Ajax, Hamilton. We've even seen people move out of there and move more north. So that, you know, interprovincially, and this is happening all across the country that we've seen people move away from that urban center and into a bit more of a rural area. And, you know, a lot of this is the suburban dream kind of thing, you know, go get a dog, white picket fence, have a kid or two. And people have been really doing that, especially over the last few years, more so getting out of the city and staying in the province, but getting out of the city. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, one of the things that people we forgot existed was, you know, there is a degree of biology and timing that as, as millennial, you know, boomers were looking at us like we were never going to grow up, but eventually we did. We grew up and- (laughs) Speak for yourself. Yeah. And we decided that we all wanted to have this little nuclear family. So, and we wanted to have kids. And it's easier to do that, I would say, for the average person, even just financially in the suburbs. And it's easier to do that. It's easier to work from home in the suburbs. It's easier to have a bigger house that accommodates working from home in the suburbs. And so, you know, I think the COVID obviously expedited that because it gave people the time to pause and reflect and say, okay, yeah, I probably can't do this version of the future in my 600 square foot condo. So I'd have to say bye to that. (laughs) 
and then I think it also gave people the realization that, you know, we were in this finite timeline as millennials that, okay, yeah, maybe I should take my relationship more seriously. And so we started seeing a lot of these things forming like millennials. Just, it was almost like a snap of a finger. And again, this was, so that was what was happening in the millennial cohort. What was happening in the boomer co- cohort in the boomer cohort, you were seeing an expedition expedi- Is that a right word? Not, it's not an expedition. Like you're not traveling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was expedited. Expedited. There we go. It's not an expedition, like a, that Ford, a big Ford truck or whatever. <laughs> but it was expediting the future plans. So boomers were retiring earlier. They're saying, you know what? This is stupid. I don't want to work from home forever. I'm just going to retire early. And a lot of them were cashing out of assets and moving to this, the cottage or whatever it was. So again, be in touch with – those were the trends that were happening over the past two years. And everybody knows about that. Start thinking about what the next couple of trends are. I'm going to talk a little bit now about moving within a specific region or town, especially because this starts to become important in the conversation of tying together what was happening with the millennials and boomers at the same time. So we have this thing in Canada, and I'd say most of the Western world, you know, the Canadian dream or the American dream of home ownership. And what that typically requires is climbing the housing ladder that we'll call. So, you know, you're a buyer, you go buy the condo, maybe would probably be the most logical entry point for most people now. Maybe you get a townhouse or a stack town, and then you, you know, build some equity in it. Maybe a mortgage term goes by and, you know, the housing market grows at 30% a year. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't model that. <laughs> Two to 3% a year, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. The housing market grows for a couple of years. And then after your mortgage term, you say, oh, you know what? Our mortgage is coming up for renewal. Maybe we should just sell. And, you know, we need a little more space. Little Bobby's getting pretty big and, you know, we want to have another baby soon. So we need a three bedroom. Okay. And then you sell that place and you move up and you realize the equity and you move up into the next piece of the housing ladder. Typically, people tend to do this within the same region. Actually, statistically, most people never travel further from... This is crazy. I was just going to say, can, can you hurry up and get to this point? Because I want to talk about this. <laughs> Okay. All right. So most people never travel further from or die more than 18 to 30 miles from the place they were born. So what? people don't move that much. Yeah. What is or at least that? they that didn't until COVID happened. Yeah. So I think there's another stat too, like you're most likely to get in a car accident, like within 10 yeah. miles of your house or something. Yeah. My mom always reminds me of that for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so within these areas, people tend to migrate along the infrastructure they're familiar with. So, you know, if you're in Ontario, you would migrate along the 400 series highway as an example. So if you're in Vaughan, the most logical next place for you to move would be Bradford as an example. Or if you're in Calgary, you know, you know basically up the two highways in one and two, you know, maybe go north to Airdrie or east to, I guess, Strathmore. People will stay along the highway that they might have been commuting on for their whole life, right? So they don't really have to make major changes. People aim for simplicity when they're climbing the housing ladder. And so, again, it might be worth thinking about, especially when examining from my perspective, in most major cities in Canada, baby boomers hold a, in, an enormous part of the big housing stock. And for me, like the obvious trade here is once we see the blanket upzoning of all of these cities eventually, I would say multiplexing all of those big four-bedroom homes that they live in would be a, a great potential trend. But they're going to sell those houses at some point. Yeah. What's going to? Who's buying those? And where are those boomers going? Yeah, and I guess who's moving into them? Because again, we're having less kids. Those houses are now drastically more expensive. But this is not just a trend we've seen in Canada, right? This is a trend that I think COVID sparked across North America. Maybe not across the rest of the world, but definitely in in the Western world here. These you know these trends are prominent in the U.S. as well. Look what happened to rents and prices. In different markets throughout the Sun Belt 
in the United States, right? People moving mass exoduses out of California into Texas, mass exoduses out of New York. I mean, obviously, California, New York, they're going to be okay. But we did start to see, you know, an overflow, even some businesses leave and, and, you know, the work from home thing, which I think deserves its own episode. Those did have major effects. And, you know, sometimes climbing the housing ladder within a certain area, you know, let's just use one of the very expensive areas, for instance, Toronto, if you're starting off with a condo, you know, you're going to have to wait a couple of years to get to that next rung of that ladder, which could be that stacked town and then another couple of years to get to whatever, right? Fully thinking that the housing market's going to just go back to normal appreciation metrics. But if you are able to jump provincially or jump from New York, uh, you know, California state to Texas, where the delta between those prices is super different, you might be able to climb that ladder a lot faster than if you were to stay put and just do that traditional climb in that place that you, you know, decided to start off. So I think there's a major things to take into account there, especially when looking at, you know, like what you said, we're looking at where baby boomers, what they're going to do with the current houses they have, who's going to provide them with the houses they want, and how are we going to infill or densify the houses that they leave behind? Yeah, for sure. And I think that there's an important consideration here in, you know, climbing the ladder as an investor per se as well. So one of the things that we'll often advise, and we haven't really explained this fully on the podcast, we're going to do a full episode on this, but is investing in your first couple of assets to really get cash flow because you want to juice up your income, the qualifying income that you're using as an investor. And so you can often get from, you know, if you're if you're buying in a more expensive market, it's going to take you longer to get from deal number 1 to deal number 2 because your return is so much slower. The asset that you're buying is paying itself off is so much slower. So you can't realize the equity as quickly. But what we're starting to see, especially among young investors who really understand portfolio strategy, is I'm going to go drive to like quantify. I'm going to go buy six units in or I'm going to go buy a couple of duplexes in Nova Scotia because I can do that for 500k whereas 500k would get me maybe an up down duplex in the far fringes of the greater Toronto area as an example. Or if I'm in Ottawa, you know, a million bucks I'm probably going to pay for a decent duplex. A million bucks will go a long way by buying fourplexes in Quebec as an example. And so investors are starting to think that way and prioritizing yield first because if you think about it from a cash on cash perspective, if you can go from a 5% cash on cash return to a 10% cash on cash return. You just doubled the speed at which your asset is delivering you equity. And when you're getting that equity delivered, it makes it easier to pull it in the future and go get asset number two if your objective is scale. So I guess what we're going to do here is we're going to look at a bunch of different markets, basically all of them provincially. And this probably does need to be analyzed more at a city to city level. But what we want to start doing is really getting an understanding for the scope of investments available within Canada. We're going to do that by looking at what rents and what prices each of these areas are commanding and trying to reverse engineer that into almost like a cap rate or price to rent ratio. Right, Nick? Yeah. So... We've got three numbers here for each province and the territories that we could find this proper information on. So the first number is going to be the average price of a home in that place. The second number is going to be the average price of rent. And the third number is going to be the RTP ratio, which is the rent to price ratio. 
So what is a rent-to-price ratio? It's a ratio that is used to benchmark for estimating whether it's cheaper to rent or own a property. So the price-to-rent ratio is used as an indicator for whether a housing market is fairly valued or in a bubble. So we altered that a little bit, Dan, and we're now going to use it as a bit more of a cap rate calculation for each of these markets, correct? Yeah, exactly. So UBS actually uses this price to rent ratio famously in their bubble index. And you know, Toronto has been featured in that. Actually, quite a few Canadian cities have been featured in the UBS bubble index several times. It's not the kind of cameo you want to make, is it? Yeah, no, for <laughs> sure. But it, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty accurate measure of how much speculation is happening in a market. We're not going to be using price to rent. We're going to be using rent to price. So we're, divide, we're basically doing what, what would be a cap rate, except it's not on an individual property. It's on a province. So we're going to take the provincial average rent and we're going to divide it by the provincial average house price. And this is a very imperfect metric, but we're using the same metric for every single province just to give a very broad idea of what each what returns are better in each province. So you can, you know, compare side by side. And you know, we'll often say this, I don't really care what metric you use as long as you're using the same rules for all properties that you're looking at so that when you're comparing them side by side, they make sense. And so that's what we're doing here. Yeah, love that. So we'll, Dan, why don't we just go back and forth? You do one, read all three numbers. Perfect. We'll read the RTP as a percentage. And just for anyone listening to recap again, that RTP is going to essentially represent a very rough cap rate for that province. So start us off, Dan. By the way, everybody, this is in order from least expensive province. And again, we're including the territories, least expensive to most expensive. Okay, so we starting us off as New Brunswick, average price of a home is $270,698. Rent is $1467. So you annualize that rent, multiply it by 12. And the rent to price ratio, so that annual rent divided by that price is 6.5%. Then we move on to Newfoundland and Labrador. Average price is $300,490, with the average rent being $1,131. And an RTP ratio of 4.5%. Okay. Uh, Saskatchewan coming in at an average home price of about $308,000. Rent is about $1,100 a month. So the RTP ratio, the rent to price ratio is 4.2%. Manitoba at an average home price of $344,237. Rent just below $1,400 average. The RTP comes in at 4.8%. Okay, Nova Scotia. This one actually shocked me, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, same. We double-checked the numbers here. So their house price is $385,935. The rent is just shy of 2400 bucks a month, which is like very comparable to Ontario's rent. Don't get me wrong. Ontario is a huge province, so it makes sense when you average it out. But Nova Scotia's RTP ratio is the highest in the country based on this very, very rough calculation that we're using here of 7.4%. Moving on to PEI with an average home price of 391,772, average rent is 1467 and the RTP ratio comes in at 4.5%. In Alberta, which again was one of the biggest recipients of this exodus from Ontario and from BC, 423,000 house price, rent is $1349, RTP ratio is 3.8%. Moving over to Quebec, $447,610, the average home price. The average rent is $1723, and the RTP ratio is 4.6%. 
Northwest Territories, $512,000 house. Rents are just shy of 1800 bucks. RTP ratio, 4.1%. Next door in the Yukon, we've got $512,605 for the average home. Rent comes in at 1100 with an RTP ratio of 2.5%. So that's the lowest in the country. And I think you're going to get to why houses are so expensive in the territories when you're talking about the rentals.ca data source. So I won't cover that, but Ontario... $829,000 homes, rents twenty three sixty seven RTP ratio 3.4%. Yeah. And then to top off the list, my birthplace, beautiful British Columbia, $918,378. Man, that is pricey with an average rent of $2,578 with an RTP ratio of 3.4%. So, same as Ontario. Same as Ontario. Let's just look at – let's go back to the beginning of the list here. New Brunswick, the average home price is $270,000, whereas BC, the average home price is 918000 Little bit of a gap there, eh, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it really, from my perspective, just highlights how you know people can get so wrapped up in – the speculative trends in real estate and the house price growth. And don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of people made a ton of money, but I feel like, you know, potentially, at least during this counter cycle, that era is going to be behind us for a little bit. And so focusing Mm -hmm. on yield and the easiest way to do it is by looking at metrics like this. We just outlined to you, basically, we gave you the starting point for your own primary research is what provinces are going to give me the best ROI. Okay. Now go pick one that you like. You know, you don't have to invest in the one with the RSI. If you don't like Nova Scotia, I personally love Nova Scotia. So I'm going to go look because I just saw that it has a great ROI by comparison to some of these other areas. But not always, it's very easy to get wrapped up in seeing that price growth. I would encourage people to start thinking about growth in their equity, yeah. growth in right cash on cash, getting some returns, especially if you're beginning your portfolio. The faster you can build equity in your portfolio, the faster you can borrow against that equity and the faster you can scale. And then you can go buy those expensive homes in all of those other places if you so <laughs> desire. I just wanted to touch on the fact that we did leave none of it out. Now, that was not that was not on purpose. We looked for as much data as we could, but there was not really much great average data for none of it. But I did find this one cool stat. So on average, the construction in none of it costs three times more than that in the GTA, which is already crazy expensive. So, well, none of it costs kind of vary by community and area. The average cost of new kind of basic public housing is between four hundred and five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I'm assuming that'd be for kind of you know a two to three bedroom, fifteen to eight hundred eighteen hundred square foot house. It's got to be tough yeah. to build up there. I'd love to do explore that a little more. We're running close on time here, Dan. Do we want to quickly – I just want to cover this population. I think this chart's pretty cool. We've just pulled up a stats chart that has basically the population as it sits now and the population that is projected to be in 2043. So essentially 20 years from now. Do we? Do you think we have time to run through this, Dan? Yeah, might as well. Might as well for sure. So Ontario just cracked 15 million, I think, right? Yeah. So this is from 2020, This the actual data, but they have the projections – so bear with us. It won't be exact up to date, but keep in mind, this is all all projections as well. So Dan, why don't you start us off with Ontario? We'll work our way down the list. Yeah. So Ontario currently around 15 mil projected to reach 18.26 million. Quebec currently around eight and a half. We'll go up to nine and a half. Gotta love Quebec. Quebec. 
British Columbia at 6.22 million in, in – was it 2040? That's what we're saying? Yeah. Okay. And 5.1 million today. Alberta currently at about four and a half and they'll reach just over six and a half by 2043. I think that's really the interesting one to watch there is Alberta actually surpassing British Columbia. Yeah, that's a big growth. I mean, they're, that's the biggest growth on here by far other outside of Ontario. Yeah, for sure. And also the race tightening between Manitoba and Saskatchewan. So Manitoba projected to reach 1.74, currently at 1.38. And Saskatchewan uh, projected to reach just shy of 1.6 and currently at 1.19. Yeah, then over to Atlantic Canada where the growth is still going, but at a bit more of a slower pace. Nova Scotia currently at about just under a million so in about 967 and projected to hit that million mark. New Brunswick at about 775 now, really only seen, you know, up to 800,000 really. Newfoundland and Labrador expected to contract. Actually expected to contract. Wow. That is the only contraction on here. So yeah, currently at about 522,000 and actually set to lose about 70,000 people in the next 20 years. So again, that's an interesting one right there. Yeah, that to me is a good illustration of sort of what happens when you don't have the youth population replacing the because I mean you know definitely an older population in that area, right? Yeah. And as if if you don't have millennials moving in to replace the the baby boomers that are dying off, unfortunately, sorry guys, but they're gonna it's gonna happen in the next next between tw now and twenty forty. Yeah, and honestly, like I would say, a lot of these projections could totally change in the next in the next little bit Completely depending on agree. employment depending yeah. on you know what happens maybe we ramp up immigration maybe some of these ads start showing up in areas where people are immigrating to Canada rather than on my Facebook feed telling me to move <laughs> to Halifax and yeah I mean and then just quickly we'll wrap it up there with the territories Northwest Territories set to grow by about 30 40,000 to, to just under 50,000 Yukon will grow about 10,000 to hit that 50,000 mark as well and none of it will go from about 40,000 to 50,000 as well. So still still 25% growth though yeah, in Nunavut. Yeah. I mean we're still seeing good growth up there. Now I just want to wrap this episode up with a few points that I've made in kind of our conclusion here. You know, we hope this was helpful and and I think what we've really outlined here is to study migration and study economic patterns and study the economic pull and push factors from each one of those places. Try to gain an understanding of who is moving, why, and where. And once you figure that out, just as kind of Dan and I have alluded to multiple times, once you reverse engineer and find your customers, whether it be millennials moving interprovincially or you know, staying in the same town and just looking for new housing stock. And that same being said for boomers, right? Moving out of their large four bedroom suburban houses into that coveted duplex that they're all looking for. Right. Find those places and start to invest there, start to do your research there. Any closing words, Dan? Yeah. I mean, look, it goes without saying it's not our duty and it's I wouldn't recommend you taking an investment thesis from somebody else, right? I would encourage you to go and figure one out on your own because there are going to be listeners to the show, some of you are, who are going to be able to outperform my portfolio because they've picked a better inf investment thesis than I am. And that's, it's really a lot of it's just chance, but you know, do your own homework, pick a market that you're happy with and that you really think is going to work for you. A lot of real estate investing is having a good fit, right? And making sure that the assets and the tenants that you're choosing are good for you. You can almost even increase your return just by picking the right thing for you. Not just the right markets, but the you know obviously picking the right markets is going to matter too. 
Love it. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this. If you want to get in touch with Dan and I, have any questions about joining a meetup, working with us, we are looking for partners and people to work with across the country. Please reach out. You can find both of our social medias as well as the email address in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Ambassador is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center, license number 10317, and a partner in GH Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial, and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association, and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.